Welcome to the Click Podcast. I'm Danny Watson, a mindset and manifestation expert and founder of The Click, a company that helps women overcome their fears and limiting beliefs to create a life and business that they love. Within this podcast, I will help you get clear on what you want, identify the blocks that are holding you back, transform your mindset and raise your vibration so that you can co-create magic with the universe. If you are looking to design a life that truly sets your soul on fire and manifest more success and abundance, then you are in the right place. Hello ladies, welcome to a brand new episode and a brand new week. I have had such a wonderful week, Um, I think mainly because the weather has just been absolutely glorious where I am here in the south of Spain. We are in February, but it feels like it is late spring. Um, It feels really warm, even to the point that my um, two eldest children, Rafi and Atti, stripped off naked on the beach and actually got into the sea. Um, Admittedly, I didn't think it was quite warm enough for that, Um, but we'd just been horse riding with my daughter and... um, it's her stables where she rides is really close to the beach. Often they do um, treks along the beach, which is really lovely. Um, and so often after she finishes her horse riding lesson, we like to just go down to the beach um, just to kind of have a walk, which is what we did. And yeah, within about 10 minutes, they both decided to take all of their clothes off and get into the sea. Um, there was actually families there as well that were clearly here on holiday that had the same idea and we're also swimming in the sea um but yeah a little bit too cold for me just yet um but no it's been super nice to just be here in this amazing weather and yeah another reminder that we're just so thankful that my work my business has allowed us to travel here to buy a home here and yeah create our family life here but anyway for the purpose of this episode this was actually something I sent an email out on recently and my email just blew up <laughs> with this email. Um, I was basically talking about how at a personal, um, at an event I went to re- recently, I shared a personal story. Um, and it's not really something I've opened up much about before with anybody, like with my audience or even with sort of friends and family members. And I thought, you know, I think a lot of women would resonate with this. And it was something that I'd been sharing when I was chatting with a group of ladies at this event. Um, And I was basically saying that for many years, I really struggled with my mental health. And it actually took me a very, very long time to realize that what I was actually experiencing was anxiety. Because I had this very sort of um, idea of what anxiety looked like. It was very much debilitating. (laughs) I always get that word wrong. Um, You know, it would make people like not take action maybe people would be quite reclusive with anxiety not very confident not really getting a lot done you know really unmotivated to do things like that in my head was what anxiety was all about but that wasn't me on the surface you know I was very much a high achiever I was a doer you know I was very much about taking action I was also very sociable and outgoing and even when I was having those tough days I would just get on with it so I very much wore my resilience to just get on with it as a badge of honor. But it felt like when I did get quiet, so when I was on my own in those moments of silence, perhaps just before I went to bed at night, it was almost like that's when the anxiety really kicked in. So again, I wasn't really labeling it as anxiety. It was just negative chitter chatter. So I was really battling with self-doubt, feelings of unworthiness, 
And because I put such high standards and expectations on myself, my perfectionism, it constantly made me feel like I wasn't enough. Um, I often overanalyzed everything. I overanalyzed what people, I assumed people were thinking about me, what I assumed people would say about me doing certain things. For example, you know, getting into the personal development world. And so I had all of these sort of like anxious feelings and it was almost like I could only really hear hear them when I slowed down and was silent. And during the day, I almost distracted myself from feeling what I was feeling by just being busy, by being super productive, by being really efficient and just getting on with things. But those feelings of anxiety were actually still there. And I later realized that what I was actually experiencing was high functioning anxiety. And What was really interesting was that because it was invisible to others, I felt a lot of shame in admitting that I had this and definitely a lot of shame around discussing it with anybody. And I think this was why for so long, I just sort of kept what I was feeling to myself. I didn't share it with anybody, not with family and friends. And I just wanted to kind of keep showing up as the strong one. And I think kind of coming back to this, that was partly tied in with this um, I guess sort of from, from childhood, wanting to kind of be that peacekeeper, wanting to be the strong one, wanting to kind of be the independent one who could just, you know, look after herself and get on with things and not need that support. You know, a lot of my identity was weaved into being the strong, the strong one. But I realized a part of it was also just that shame of, I don't really want to discuss this with anybody because they're not going to get it. They probably won't believe me. Maybe they'll think I'm being too dramatic a hypochondriac. I don't really think anybody is going to take this seriously if I tell them I've got what I think is anxiety. And it wasn't until I actually started working with a coach, which really provided me with this safe space to explore and to validate what I was actually feeling and to actually make me kind of really own up to the fact that this was something that I was battling with and it wasn't something to be ashamed of. And it was something that, you know, I think there was the reminder there that we all have our stuff going on and it's not a competition of who has things the worst, you know, whose life is the worst. And it's almost as if like I sometimes felt when I got into the personal development space and I was reading all of these stories of people who had been through very, you know, real hardships in their life and really significant, painful childhood traumas. And it almost made me feel like, well, I can't really talk about what's been going on for me because actually I've had it quite good in comparison you know I've obviously had stuff that's gone on in my childhood but I've come from a very loving family you know my parents did the best they could with what they had and it kind of gave me this sort of feeling of I can't complain about things or perhaps even I can't really share my story or share what I'm experiencing because it's nothing in comparison to what other people go through and I think it's for me, there was this real shift when I realized like it's not a competition of who's had things the worst because our pain and what we experience, it's all going to be relative to our own life. And it's whatever we are feeling, it is valid to us. And it doesn't matter that perhaps other people have things worse or have experienced things life in a much more difficult way than us because what we're feeling now, it is still valid. And it's doesn't make us less any any less worthy of getting support or having our concerns listened to. Um, you know, our pain and our anxieties, they are not mitigated just by the fact that we've perhaps had some good luck in life. 
Um, and so for this one, for me, was like a real wake-up call. And it's something that I actually want to remind you as well, because I've had this conversation often with, with clients, you know, especially when they're in the coaching space and they're wanting to be this inspiration to others. And it almost feels like it's a competition between who's had it worse. And it's almost like the most successful I can be is dependent on how hard hard I've had it to begin with and how much I've had to climb to get out of the hole that I was in. And for some people, that hole is going to be very deep. And for other people, it's not really a hole at all. Um, And so it almost feels as if their story is less deserving of being listened to because it hasn't been this real sort of rags to riches type of story or this real sort of story of hardship. I think this is often why we perhaps don't necessarily commit fully to the healing work. We shy away from it because we just assume, well, actually, my life is good in comparison to other people, therefore I should just get on with things. And I see this so much play out with people that maybe kind of lightly dabble with personal development and mindset work and never really fully commit to it because they think, well, actually, in the grand scheme of things, my life isn't that bad. I should just soldier on with things. What I've noticed is an interesting pattern from my experience doing the inner work is that I have gone through phases where life has been going very, very good. Like, you know, just so many amazing manifestations, so many things just going my way. And they have often been the times when I've perhaps stepped back a little bit from the inner work because I just, you know, been been busy enjoying life. And the thing is, often we gravitate more to doing the inner work when we feel a real need for it, when we feel like anxious or we're feeling stressed or we're stuck in fear or we're manifesting negative things, when it feels like things are going wrong, that's when we're like, oh my goodness, now I need to double down on the inner work. But I've started to realize that what if in the moments when things are going really, really well, that's when I choose to double down on the inner work, because then you're going from great to even better. And I've found when I've been able to do that, they have been the times when I've been able to create exponential growth, because the starting point from when I'm doing everything, this kind of the benchmark from where I'm starting from is actually a lot higher. You know, I'm not trying to drag myself out of this dark, deep pit. I'm actually at a place of feeling really good and thinking, right, how can I really now ramp things up a little bit? So yeah, it's been an interesting thing for me to recognize within my own journey. And it's something I perhaps invite you to do as well is don't wait for you to hit rock bottom before you fully commit to that inner work. But as I was saying, this sort of concept of high-functioning anxiety, I think for me it was this double-edged sword because it was something that I was feeling and those feelings were very real and very valid, but it felt like I wasn't for a long time able to fully recognize them or talk about them or even kind of work on them because... I kept coming back to this idea that was, well, you know what, this is just a part of life, you know, this is something I should just accept, and a lot of people have it much, much worse than me, you know, I can leave the house, I am performing well, I'm, you know, not being a reclusive, you know, things aren't that bad. In fact, when I was at the peak of my high-functioning anxiety, perhaps from an outsider's point of view, it probably looked as if my life was going better than it ever had. So I was very outgoing, um, and I think naturally as a person, I'm quite sociable, I'm quite outgoing, but I'm actually quite introverted in that I really get my energy from being alone, and I find being in social situations, especially with large groups of people, I actually find it quite draining. Um, I still go out and I'm still very social, but you know I very much get exhausted by that. But in my sort of peak of high-functioning anxiety, I was like the absolute extrovert. 
Um, you know, I would make sure if I was out somewhere, I was chatting with everybody. It was trying to be the most sociable person in the room. Inside, however, it was almost like I was running on adrenaline and I was actually feeling very anxious internally. And what I was really doing at this point was wearing a mask um, to really kind of cover up my anxiety by really wanting to take control of the situation. So it was almost like I was stepping into this alter ego, this different identity to kind of show up in a certain way and be the most extroverted, be the most outgoing person and sociable. So people didn't really see what was going on below the surface. Another way my high functioning anxiety showed up was this constant need to be either early or always be on time for things. Um, You know, I didn't ever want to be late. And again, on the surface level, this seems like a socially acceptable thing. It's something that's almost applauded, like, oh, you know, she's always on time versus somebody that's always late for things, which is often met with criticism. But for me, this sort of desire for punctuality was actually kind of deeply rooted in this fear of failure or fear of disapproval. So this kind of fear of letting others down or failing to meet expectations. So being early for things is really perceived as a way to mitigate these anxieties. So ensuring that I won't be late and potentially disappointing somebody else. Um, It's also very much tied in with this need for control. So anxiety can often be fueled in this need for control over situations and outcomes. So for me, arriving early, it provides that sense of control over punctuality. It also is very much connected to perfectionism. So my need to do things perfectly, including time management. Another trait of my high-functioning anxiety, which is often applauded by society, is proactive planning. So I love planning things meticulously. I love being really organised with, you know, things that I've got coming up. So let's say it was a holiday, I'd want to have every sort of little detail of that holiday meticulously planned to kind of avoid things not going how I want them to go. And then also just being organised in general, like organised with within my home, within, you know, my work, um, just kind of keeping everything as ordered as possible. Um, you know, again, surface level, this looks like a good thing, but really that was deeply connected to my high functioning anxiety and just not wanting to do things wrong, always wanting to please others, always, you know, wanting to preempt things going wrong. Anxiety thrives on uncertainty. So planning every detail, keeping things really organized, it offers this sense of control over potential negative outcomes. Something else that is a trait which is very much linked with high functioning anxiety is ambition. Um, I've always been very ambitious and there's been lots of studies done. There was one done by um, Harvard Business Review where It states that some of the most successful people out there tend to face high levels of anxiety. Um, And really, this kind of makes sense if you think about how much pressure people that are very ambitious, how much pressure they put on themselves, how much pressure is put on them by other people. So again, it's this double-edged sword. It's like, okay, great, you're a high achiever, you're very ambitious. But the flip side of that is that often with that comes this high-functioning anxiety. So yes, you may be a high achiever, you may be ambitious, you may be great at planning, very organized, are able to get a lot of stuff done. Um, you know, you always arrive on time for things, you know, you're always punctual. But then below the surface, there's that constant fear of criticism or self-criticism, that fear of looking inadequate, that fear of not being good enough, that fear of being judged, the feeling of being on the edge or the feeling of you know, losing control the never-ending pressure that you put on yourself 
or the weight of expectation from others that you constantly feel. With high functioning anxiety, the trouble is, is that you are so used to doing the doing. Um, We're so used to taking action and achieving a lot and really performing at a very optimal level, yet it never feels enough. And so we kind of try to fill that void of not enoughness by just doing more and just getting on with things and perhaps often really avoiding what it is that we're feeling. And then it gets to a point that we just, we're like a pressure cooker and we just explode. Like, And this is where... Um, you know, we see, especially with women in the workplace, where they have that experience of stress or burnout or just completely then feel disconnected from their work because it feels like there's only so much I can give and I've given my all and it still doesn't feel like it's enough. And so they just then kind of think like, I just don't want this anymore. Um, So I see this a lot with the clients that I work with, especially executive women within the corporate space who are in these very sort of senior roles within their work and they've got their often you know through living through high functioning anxiety again like the qualities of high functioning anxiety have helped them get to where they are but the flip side of that is that the high functioning anxiety is also going to be the thing that takes everything away from them because they can operate at that level but only do so for so long before things just all seem to fall apart they get to that place where the stress just is too much What I've really noticed is a common trait, both in myself and actually other women that I've worked with who experience high-functioning anxiety, is that they tend to have this either-or mentality. It's either that they're all in or completely off, and they kind of will flip between the two. So it's almost this cycle of really high-functioning, you know, go-getter, doing as much as they can, to the point where they're like, right, I've got nothing left to give now, and they just completely collapse. Um, Not necessarily physically collapse, but just kind of give up on things. Um, I've seen this cycle as well happening with business owners who, again, have this same sort of high-functioning anxiety, go-getters, ambitious, do the doing, and they go full steam ahead into their business, do as much as they can, give as much as they can, really lose themselves into their business, And then they get to a point where they're like, I can't take this anymore. And they all of a sudden take their foot off the pedal and don't do anything at all. And I've gone through cycles of that within my own business. Um, Fortunately, I'm in a position where I have a great team to support me. So my business isn't reliant on me being there 100% all of the time. But the issue is, is for those that perhaps at the beginning of that entrepreneurial journey, when they fall into this cycle, because a lot of the time, the majority of their day-to-day activities are dependent on them. So if they completely step away from their business, their business actually stops, Um, which is why something that I'm really, really passionate about when I mentor women within business is help them create those systems and the support around them so that they can, if they need to, take a month off their work and their business is not going to suffer as a result. But really for me, what has been more helpful has been to try and find more balance. So rather than going to these two extremes of how I work, where it's very much all or nothing, it's how can I find more of a middle ground where I'm not necessarily always working at full capacity, where I give myself a little bit of wiggle room and work at a much more relaxed pace so that becomes more sustainable. Often when we are experiencing anxiety, the high functioning part is almost our distraction tool. So it's like if I keep myself so, so busy and fill up my to-do list and my agenda with all of these different things, 
I reduce the amount of time I have to actually feel into what I'm feeling. I get to avoid those negative feelings. But as we all know, when we suppress our emotions and what we're feeling, it's just this thing that festers below the surface. And eventually that thing has to be exposed. It's going to bubble over into our life. And that's that pressure cooker mentality where we just all of a sudden explode. So let's kind of go into some of the things then that can really support you if you are recognizing yourself as somebody struggling with high functioning anxiety and wanting to do something about it. I want to share some of the things that I found have worked really well for me and also with my clients as well. Um, Something that was very prevalent within my sort of exploration of my anxiety was this deep rooted desire to be self-sufficient. And when I kind of dug into this and where it originated from, I realized that I, very much in my childhood, my mum had a lot going on. She was, I was the eldest of three siblings. My dad was working away a lot. And, you know, my mum was often home alone with us. And my two youngest sisters were very close together in age. And me being the eldest sibling, I just wanted to do whatever I could to make my mum's life easier. You know, I really loved my mum. Of course I did. Um, I still do love my mum. And there was this just wanting to please her, wanting to help her out. And I was often get praised and rewarded for being, you know, the good big sister and for helping out. And often I was given like a lot of responsibility from from a very young age when, you know, I was obviously still a child myself, but, you know, I was involved in helping out with my sisters and doing the housework. And I think that that's been a real blessing for me because it's really given me this resilience and self-sufficiency and independence. And I'm always been fiercely independent. But then the flip side of that is in that self-sufficiency. When we're struggling, we just kind of get on with things because we want to be that strong one. So for me, kind of going into this self-sufficiency was this, I just want to be the strong one. You know, I've got to be there to kind of help others. I've got to make sure that they're you know, my sisters are okay, my mum's, you know, okay, and, you know, I'm helping her in whatever way I can, to the point where I perhaps suppress my own needs. So a big thing for me is in releasing that high functioning anxiety is allowing myself to just fall apart sometimes and for that to be okay. I don't always need to be the strong one in my family. You know, there's room for me to kind of have my meltdowns and to kind of let whatever I'm feeling out and to be supported by those around me. And I'm really lucky that I've chosen a husband that gives me space for my emotions to really come out. And I, you know, he encourages me, in fact, to kind of really talk about things. You know, I've very much been somebody that's used to be suppressing what I'm feeling and I don't like talking about things, but he's very good at sort of bringing that side out for me. And if he knows, if he can recognize that I'm going through something, he'll be like, right, look, I'm going to take the kids or I'm going to prepare dinner, you know, go and take some time for yourself. Or, you know, in the evenings when the kids are asleep, he's like, look, let's talk about this. And he very much is encouraging me with that. And I feel like for me, I I needed that because it was my way to just be like, I'm going to hand the reins over to somebody else rather than trying to be that strong one, trying to be perfect, trying to keep everybody else together. I'm just going to allow myself to be the one that falls, falls apart every now and again. And so this is what I invite you to do. Like, make sure you have that support system, but allow yourself to be vulnerable. You don't always have to kind of show up as if life is great. Um, You know, we don't have to always wear this mask. We can take the mask off. And honestly, it feels so 
cleansing and cathartic to do so that where we can finally be like, you know what? My day has been really quite shit. (laughs) You know, this is how I'm feeling. I'm really frustrated with this and getting really sad about this and actually just allowing all of that to kind of pour out and yeah, just giving yourself space for that. Another thing I think that's really helped me is in small doses, (laughs) allowing myself to release that control. And I think this is where we don't want to go from zero to 100. Um, what we do is when we try to change things too dramatically, we send our nervous system into overdrive and then it just freaks out. Our subconscious mind kind of wants to be reminded of what's familiar. So I've spoken about this on the podcast at all if we, uh, before where if we try and make dramatic shifts, it's like, as I said, like our nervous system freaks out. It's like, whoa, what is going on here? And it sends us into complete panic, complete overwhelm. And we then revert back to the, the previous pattern of behavior. So it's almost like this incremental upgrade of letting go of control, for example. So rather than trying to go from somebody who has to control everything to then somebody who completely goes with the flow, doesn't plan anything, doesn't control anything, just trusts in the outcome, that's almost like an unrealistic expectation to put on yourself. So for me, it's that how can I find small ways within my day and within my life to hand over the reins? So for me, it was you know, gradually handing things over to other people within my business. It was gradually learning not to micromanage people within my life. So for example, I would always be the one that would go and get my children's clothes out for the night for the, the night before for the next day. And I was like, you know what, I have a lot going on. This is something that I don't always need to be doing and I don't need to be, you know, having control over it. I'm going to just let my husband do this. And you know what, it's okay if he picks an outfit that does not work. Um, I mean, one day he, (laughs) I met him in the park and he dressed my daughter in just a pair of tights, thinking that they were leggings, like no dress or anything. It was like a tights and a vest. I was like, you know what? This isn't, (laughs) this isn't how I would have done it, but that's okay. So it's almost like allowing things to not go how you want them to, you know, not making everything a big deal. It's not sweating the small stuff and actually really conserving your energy for the things that really matter. So just kind of letting go of that control over the things that really don't matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, we can still want to have a certain element of control about the things that we do really care about and the things that are really important to us. But for some of the small stuff, let those things go a little bit more. So how can you do this within your own life? How can you relinquish a little bit of that control that you have? So maybe it's in the way that somebody does the housework in your house. Maybe it's if you're in a business, the way somebody does things within your business. Yes, we can give kind of kind and compassionate feedback to people and, you know, give them guidance on how we like doing things, but it's just then letting them be and trusting that, Things will get done, maybe not necessarily exactly how you want them to be done, but things will get done and conserve your energy for the things that are really important. Then when it comes to organization and planning, it's again, this comes back to control, like relinquishing a little bit of that control every now and again. So maybe you really thrive on having a very rigid, structured um, calendar that's really kind of filled with lots of things, but making sure you're carving in that intentional time where nothing is scheduled and allowing yourself to be guided in that moment. Like, what do I feel called to do here? What do I need to do for myself? rather than always having these like back-to-back meetings or back-to-back things that you need to do. 
Um, what you're doing then is you're creating some space to kind of really tune in with how do I feel? What does my body need from me? What, is there anything that, you know, emotions that are coming up here that I need to really pay attention to? And letting yourself be guided by your emotions and by your intuition and kind of just feeling into what you need at that time. What we're doing here is we're also creating a safe space for us to lean into what we're actually feeling rather than just avoiding what we're feeling by being in this cycle of constant productivity and constant busyness. You know, we're making sure that throughout our day, we've got those space of, of intentional quiet time to really tune into ourselves. So that's something, again, that I invite you to do, that, which I found has really, really supported me in managing my high-functioning anxiety as well. So, yeah, I'd love to know... Um, who resonates with this? Do you see yourself as somebody that perhaps, you know, has got it all together, yet below the surface, you perhaps have these sort of anxious thoughts, but from an outsider's point of view, you're higher functioning, you know, you've got your life together. And maybe you're, like I was, kind of worried or holding back from really sharing what you're feeling because you kind of want to be perceived as this, as this strong one. Let me know. I'd love to kind of chat with you more about this. Come and say hello, Danny underscore Watson underscore coaching. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram there. Um, yes. Thank you ladies for tuning in and I will wish you a wonderful week and I will catch you on the next episode. Wanting to build your own successful online coaching business, make sure to check out Freedom, Abundance and Impact, our free 10-day business and mindset course for coaches and aspiring coaches. To access, simply head to weartheclick.com and click free course in the menu.